Hi and welcome to the second episode of Straight Out of Camera Live. With me in studio, I have Managing Director of TechSmart.co.za, Mike Kuber. Mike, how are you doing? Hi, Ashley. It's a beautiful day in Joburg from 27 Boxes in Melville. So yeah, can't complain. Looking forward to some uh, nice uh, photography uh, experts today. So Mike, we're chatting today about cityscapes. It's a very broad genre. Um, you can do high-angle shots from... Um, the skyscrapers of Joburg, or you can do low-angle sort of water reflection images. What would you suggest would be the things to look out for when shooting cityscapes? I think the, the main thing is the improvement we've seen in in-camera technology, specifically when it comes to shooting raw. There's loads of tutorials online where they show you how to shoot in raw and then in post actually expose your shadows and uh, mix your light and that makes for some truly astounding photos okay. so this week we will be sharing Tim's tricks on action photography through our social media platforms you can follow us on Instagram at SOC underscore live as well as on our Facebook page at SOC live this week we're chatting about cityscapes. It's a very interesting broad genre. Um, I'm thinking of images of rooftops, long exposures, and then all those sort of below hip height shots of uh, reflections on water. What, what, what is quite interesting in this genre for you, Mike? I think the big thing that in this genre is the, the improvement of the photography that we've seen the past few years due to the improvements in camera sensor technology. Um, there's loads of tutorials online that shows people shooting in RAW and then just lifting the shadows and the light uh, afterwards in post. And I think our guest Anton Bosman will be telling us a little bit about this uh, later. I think some of the, the most important accessories to have will be neutral density filters, um, camera releases, um, a sturdy tripod, and these are all the tools you require to take those beautiful cityscapes. Um, international photographers that you can recommend, Mike? You know, that's a difficult one. I think the, the cityscape genre on its own hasn't been shown much love when you page through books on great photographers. Um, on ground level, when it comes to street photography, you've got the likes of Cartier, Bresson, and um, Robert Franks and those guys. But zooming out to look at specifically cityscapes, there's no greats of the same stature kind of focusing specifically on that. To me, the closest to a big name is a, a woman by the name of Bernice Abbott, who also did some impressive portraiture. She visited New York in 1929, uh, fell in love with it, closed her studio in Paris, and started shooting the city with a great level of detail. One of the problems, of course, with cityscapes is that you kind of need to make the genre your own. You need to develop your own style, in a, in a way. There's um, a French photographer currently operating by the name of Fabrice Sillet. I'm not sure exactly how to pronou pronounce the name, but he's, a f he's got a very strong, fine art approach to the genre. So it means long exposures, moody black and white images, and something we don't see very often, there's actually um, the structures themselves as being blurred. If you view his photos, um, it's really inspirational. It, it kind of like pops in your brain and all of a sudden you start thinking of um, different things you can do to your own photography. So all these um, examples will be on our social media channels. 
have a look at them on Instagram at SOC underscore live as well as on our social media platform Facebook at our Facebook page SOC live. You're listening to brandlive.co.za. Have you ever thought about the power of social media? Social media has the power to make your business grow. Grow! Why don't you let us manage your social media? Because our business is to see your business grow. Visit us at www.beastownmedia.co.za. Live.co.za. So joining us live from Cape Town is commercial photographer Leon Wistes. And Leon, how are you doing? Hi, hi, Isley. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Leon, some exciting stuff happened in Cape Town in the last week. Can you tell us a little bit more? <laughs> yes, the last week was a blur. It was um, absolutely the frenzy of excitement because we had our GFX launch down here. We had two launch events. Uh, one was a walk-in set up during the day where we uh, we were at a studio and you could walk straight in test a camera stick your memory card in there take some shots home to go and see it and and we had the privilege to meet a couple of great names in uh, cape town's photography industry and uh they they all came and were blown away by the image quality and the the user friendliness of the camera um i think there's there's going to be quite a lot more uh, interest from from that crowd and the evening event was was just as well attended a different crowd completely uh, we had it at the coal makeup studio uh, where sj van sale is operating from i heard there was that, a purple hmm? monster there yes <laughs> uh, he was he was one of our models and uh, he had purple body paint uh, with some gold in his hair and everything else uh, we'll put some of that shots on our on our feed as well but uh, it was it was so well attended everybody was so excited to see what this camera was capable of doing uh, purely because it's such an interesting camera at this price point. It, of course, it's an expensive high-end camera, but it competes very differently against a couple of different uh, expected cameras in the market in terms of price or resolution or even um, as an addition to the, the Fuji lineup of cameras where that fits into the medium format. So, so it's, it's at a very particular intersection of a whole bunch of different uh, lines of cameras and brands. Uh, so, so that was, I think, what generated a lot of the interest, plus obviously the amazing colors you get from it straight from the camera. Uh, the people could see that it's, it wasn't a fabricated story or marketing nonsense. They could just put their card in, trigger it. We had studio lights and everything up with a couple of amazing models that were, that were made up uh, by SJ. And, and I think that, that really did uh, sell, the, sell the camera. It speaks for itself. You don't need to go and do a lot of marketing <laughs> it is it is one phenomenal bit of kit. So that that was what the the week's hype was all about, and I think we're still reeling in the in the wake of that, trying to just get our heads around um, where we might apply image quality and and color fidelity and sharpness like that in our in our day to day work. Good one, um, Leon. Quickly, uh, tell me about uh, your own experiences in cityscape photography. Um, especially down there in the Cape. I know up here in Johannesburg, we've got some nice shots that we can take in city center. How about yourself? Uh, well, the, the the backdrop of Table Mountain obviously makes Cape Town a very interesting place to go and shoot cityscapes because it's it's in the background of half of your shots. Um, but having said that, the, the reason why I moved from Port Elizabeth to Cape Town initially was 
the whole idea of this melting pot of old and new architecture. Um, we have our, um, our oldest structure here is uh, the castle of Good Hope. And that's, that's a couple of uh, centuries old. And that building style with the stone and everything else that goes along with that, all the way up to modern, modern buildings like the convention center and our stadiums and everything else, those, those are just sitting right next to each other, sometimes even touching sides. And I find, I find that very characterful, very, mm. very interesting. And it, there's, a, there's a, a link between what Cape Town looks like and what London inner city looks like. There's that old and new, modern and ancient kind of a thing, and that, that drew me to Cape Town. I didn't see that so much in other cities because other cities in our country isn't that old yet. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, you know, perhaps if we look at how to define cityscape photography, one of the problems that I came uh, had to kind of work through is the fact that cityscapes has to do with almost like a broad view, but then the more you, I don't want to say zoom in, but eventually you start actually realizing that some of it kind of bounces through to the architectural genre, isn't it? Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, you have to have a, a love for design and geometry and light and, and hard graphic images. Uh, buildings very, very often fit into that far, far easier. Um, but I see them, I see them as not just as structures that that serve a purpose of, let's say, office or housing or something like that. For me, they are designed in the same way to to impress and create an atmosphere when you look at them or when you're inside them, looking outside. Uh, those kind of things are more more personable, and I see the buildings as characters. They are people that sit in my city, and I have a chance to photograph portraits of them in different lighting conditions. Um, so for me, that that's my approach to it. So. No two days are the same, so the the mood of these characters keep changing. They just happen to be um, buildings. They really large sculptures, if you if you will. Do you think it benefits you to know a little bit about the history of the city? Absolutely, absolutely does. Uh, you're able to pick up uh, different design styles that that are particular to Cape Town when you are here. And when you travel around, this is something that you notice. If you go to Port Elizabeth, there are certain eras where there were more building. Uh, high-rise buildings going up, and you see these things are, are fingerprints of, of cities. It's not just a carbon copy of this is what a house looks like, and everywhere in the world a house looks like that. Yeah. So when you when you think about cityscapes even, it doesn't just have to be tall buildings. We, when you default to the thinking of cityscapes being, being high-rise buildings and office blocks, it, it limits your understanding of what a city is all about. A city is about the people, mm-hmm. where the people interact. So to get a sense of scale and... And, and the interaction between the buildings, you have to draw in the human element from time to time. It, it's not just always about the, the buildings on their own. So, so for that genre, it kind of intersects a bit with street, and that's normally referred to as urban photography, where it's a mix of people and buildings, uh, people in spaces. Yeah. I think, you know, it's one thing there in Cape Town. Luckily, we're in Joburg, uh, also blessed with uh, the Joburg CBD and then now a lot of development taking place in Santon with some really beautiful mm, yes. um, structures uh, appearing there too. Then in uh, Pretoria, of course, you've got the union buildings on the one side, um, the copies on the other side. Um, perhaps the CBD has been, uh, I'm not sure if, if it has been photog- photographed as much as, for example, um, Joburg, but uh, certainly a couple of interesting things happening there too. Absolutely, and and when buildings come up, it's it's a it's the birth of a new character. Um, again, referencing the way that I I see these things coming to coming to life, 
uh, a few of my architectural clients often book me not to photograph the process of, of the build, but the creative aspects that they will eventually put into their portfolio. Because creatives, they fellow creatives, they also work with line, form, color, light, those kind of things that are uh, the, the, the building blocks of any any of the creative mediums. If it's painting or photography or, or, or architecture, those are common denominators between all of those. And uh, that's the standing uh, that I take when I photograph the, the buildings as well. I want to find out what the character and the history of these these structures are. If you if you know them, you are able to identify something about the history, maybe something of of how it sits in the present and where it might go. I have a a series of images that I made in one street in Cape Town. It's called Chiapini Street in the Buerkop. It's uh, it's definitely part of a cityscape, and it's it's a conglomerate of smaller images that's woven into a tapestry that makes up a larger. A patchwork quilt in a way, but it's it's all just the, the the photograph is the dividing line between each one of the houses because they all touch each other and they're very brightly colored, uh, and that speaks of the community in a way. It's it's a visual anthem of that community. Leon, um, tell us a little bit about what you need in your kit in order to take amazing cityscapes. Ah, um, the first thing I would say is a trustworthy tripod. And when I say trustworthy, not the one that you would just put your camera on any given day. If you shoot cityscapes, especially in Cape Town, the wind might actually take you. So you need something that that you can leave your camera on for, let's say, the better part of four or five minutes and not have any vibrations or things running running around your uh, shaking your camera up because you want the, the shots as steady as possible. You'll probably be shooting at small apertures like f11, f16, maybe f if 22 depending on which camera you use so so your shutter speeds will be really slow if you want to be able to get a lot of lot of detail uh, and, a, and a great depth of field uh, that's the first thing that you need to do obviously neutral density filters will will be able to well, it will enable you to get longer exposures if you want to get some cloud movement and things like that uh, or if you want to get rid of people moving in the foreground so you just want the idea of people moving in the space but you don't want to clearly define them so you give them a space to move and cars to move around if the exposure is long enough they will all move and then the buildings will stand on their own uh, that's a nice way of separating and, and also showing that there's life around the building it's not just a separate 3d render it's actually a real thing it's of course uh, with those nice uh, light trials too isn't it absolutely yes the light trials are great uh, but i wouldn't i wouldn't discard the idea of a polarizing filter what happens is what polarizers do, they, they take reflections off, uh, off glass. So sometimes you want the reflection to show something else, another building, or in our case, oftentimes Table Mountain. And if you take the reflection away, you could see straight into the building sometimes, uh, depending on the angle. And also, it will just take distracting elements away. So when you, when you do use polarizers, it's not just to make the sky blue or darker blue. It's, it's also to... to manage your reflections in the way that the highlights and shadows work in your image. So I would encourage people to maybe experiment with, with that as well. Good one. So tell us a little bit more about neutral density filters. For those um, of our listeners who don't know about them, a little bit of a description, please. Oh, okay. So neutral density filters, it looks like what we would otherwise put in our faces called sunglasses. They, they take light away. What the neutral part of the neutral density means is that it that it's not adding any color, or it's trying not to. But if it's, you can take certain amounts of color uh, light away, maybe one, two, or three stops. Those are typically ND 
2, 4, and 8. But you also have 10 and 11 stop neutral density filters. And those are those are really dark. If you look through them, you can actually look at the sun through them. They're they <laughs> close to pitch black. But they do let light through. Now, when you take that much light away, oftentimes what comes through is uh, is infrared light. And that means that you might have magenta shift in your color tint when you try and order correct. So maybe a tip if you do shoot with 10 and 11 stop neutral density filters especially is that you do uh, a gray card picture so that you can go and correct your colors more accurately in post. I think it's a great tool for any photographer in South Africa to have a neutral density filter because um, especially when shooting, for example, landscapes or even beautiful waterfalls in Mpumalanga or wherever, that's to, right, to yeah. have that nice uh, flowing water effect, you pop on a neutral density filter and, and uh, just push your uh, speed up. Correct. Or speed correct. down, rather. There's, there's one more type of neutral density filter that I'd like to mention, and that's the graduated neutral density. So it's it's clear at the bottom, and it gently fades into the, the darker gray. So that's, uh, that serves for a sky darkening effect if you if you have that, or if you have a really bright reflection in the foreground at the bottom, you could you could tone that down without having to do a double exposure um, or a bracketed sequence or something like that. Then you just have it all in one shot. Good one, Leon. Yes, I, I hear you've got a, a you've got a little bit of a sneaky sneaky in Cape Town. Um, all those cityscapes being taken off Table Mountain. How difficult is it to grab to get hold of them there? <laughs> um, well, there's there's a bit of a hot debate going on because Table Mountain is part of South African National Parks and the Table Park um, Mountain Range. Uh, Table Mountain Park is a separate park on its own, and it requires licenses if you want to do commercial work and that kind of things. But the, I don't I don't think all of it has settled too much. Uh, you can't really stop people photographing Table Mountain. There are people everywhere with cell phones and a whole bunch of other things. But if it's a commercial shoot and all that, you you might be unpleasantly surprised by somebody stopping you and asking for a permit. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the legality is about that is. Uh, it, it keeps changing from week to week. Uh, so maybe we need to put a link onto the Sandparks website just so that people can see what's going on there. Making a bold statement yet blending into the surrounding suburbs of Melville, 27 Boxes is a realization of edgy design and practical implementation. A radical departure from the shopping malls of our generation, yet not a return to the high streets of our youth. 27 Boxes showcases the best of a shopping center set in a garden surrounded by the bohemian suburb that is Melville. 27 Boxes Shop Play, eat. So in the studio with us today, we've got Anton Bosman. Now, Anton is a man of many talents. He's a radio DJ. He does some really exhausting cycling and also does some amazing work when it comes to cityscape photography. Anton, welcome very much. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here and thanks for the invite. You forgot to say um, owner of a cycle store. Yes. <laughs> wow, okay. So, um, I think just to start us off with, we talked a little bit about shooting in RAW, going in post, and then pumping up the shadows. Right. Is that something that you do often? I do. I shoot uh, only in RAW. Um, I know that the equipment I have is capable of extremely good JPEGs, but I do shoot RAW only because I, I tend to like to underexpose a little bit 
Uh, Leon just mentioned the, uh, the the filters that basically splits halfway, where you've got the the darker top and the lighter bottom, or which other way you turn it around. I do everything from one image and uh, try and expose correctly where I can. It's very difficult to often pull back the highlights. Mm. But with the equipment uh, that I'm using, I've, it's got such a fantastic dynamic range that I can actually expose for the highlights and uh, raise the shadows and get the desired feel or effect that I, I do want. How much has RAW improved over the past few years? I would say RAW has definitely improved drastically. Um, I'm not going to say that you completely lost as a photographer if you don't use RAW. I've, I've seen some equipment and particularly the uh, camera that Leon launched this week produce fantastic JPEGs straight out of camera, really exceptional stuff. For me, for, for what I do, landscapes, urbanscapes, that kind of thing, I, I very much prefer to use RAW, and I think many photographers who do take it serious should learn how to, to process the RAW files because you just have so much information to deal with, um, and, and you've got so much more leeway to, to, to get what you want to do. Great. Uh, Anton, if I can jump in and just ask you a little bit about yes, that man. processing. Uh, when when you shoot, maybe it's good to share how you how you position your camera uh, to get the lines of the buildings nice and straight. Yeah. Uh, how do you approach that? It's it's the one thing I'm I'm extremely anal about because I you see all these guys shooting with a fisheye lens and it gets this wow effect and I think to myself, but the buildings are going to touch tops or touch uh, the top of the buildings are going to shake hands in any minute I'm not a big fan of that I, I think there's a lot of people who do like that I'm I'm more of the kind of guy that likes perfect straight angles and I think it goes back to when I was studying to be a, a young civil engineer we, we, we studied a bit of architecture and angles definitely was the key factor here making sure that everything is straight and um, I had been playing with fisheye lenses as well as tilt shift lenses over the years and the tilt shift lenses were really an eye opener in terms of if you tilt the lens you are getting those straight angles and I try and position myself and the composition of the image that I get everything in camera as, as straight as possible. There will be the odd occasion where you can't do that and I'm shooting extremely wide with my 1024 lens as an example. I'm shooting quite wide and you do get a bit of distortion on the on the sides and that's when I go into Lightroom and I actually do a little bit of lens correction myself there just to straighten out the angles. But when I do a shot like that, I will shoot with the, uh, with the idea or the intention of losing a little bit of uh, the image on the sides or at the bottom or maybe at the top. Uh -huh. and, and in terms of positioning yourself and your camera, because, because uh, tilt shift lenses are few and far between if ever you see them, how do you how do you position yourself to to get the best best vantage point? Often it would be from a rooftop. Uh, I think the best lesson I learned there was when I started using a drone to do some photography and some cityscapes. And you quickly figure out that you want to be high, you want to see everything, but you you soon come to the realization that it's it's just too high. You need to be a bit lower, and you get some access to rooftops, and you realize that you've got that swooping view over the buildings. And when you lower down, as Lee was mentioning the reflections earlier, you, you, you low down. So what I tend to do is I would actually walk around for 10 to 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, and look through the viewfinder and, and see what looks good to me and actually move the camera up and down with my head as I would with a tall shift lens and decide, okay, this is what I want. Then if it's, if it's a low angle, I'd go down to the, to the gorilla pod or if I can get my tripod low enough. And, and as I said, still trying to keep the angles of the buildings as they are. Um, so basically what I do is I move my camera up and down as if I'm using a tilt shift and decide this is where I want to position it 
and and that is when I decide on the composition that I want to compose with. Do you cool, cool. do you compose on almost like an artistic feel, or are there certain set ways that you believe is the correct way? There, there should be certain set ways. When, when I got into photography, uh, I didn't understand the rule of thirds. Um, and a lot of people would say, but it's, it's such a, a hogwash uh, thing to look at. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't base what you're doing on the rule of thirds. I think it's a very, very fantastic and good way to start your photography to basically understand where you should position a building or a tree if you're doing a, a minimalist type landscape with a tree in the building, a tree in the, in the scene. Um, whatever you do, uh, you, you need to understand those rule of thirds and, and kind of almost follow them. And once you've got that, you can break the rules. Yeah, for sure. And I think that is where the artistic side of it maybe comes in. So I really do try and, and do things very different to anyone else because, as I was saying to Esley earlier, we were chatting, having a cup of coffee, you tend to see a template of work. Uh, you can have 20 photographers share something and it becomes a template of one or the other. And I think our work needs to be uh, distinguished. Uh, when, when people look at it, they, they should get to a point where they can eventually say, I know who this is, I know whose work that is. And so I definitely try and, and compose with uh, a certain amount of feel. Um, I'm looking at the city. I love, I love cityscapes purely because I love being in a city and the vibe of the city. So when I do compose and when I do uh, think of the end result, I, I keep the editing process in mind, what sort of colors I would like, what sort of effect I would like. And uh, I definitely try and add a bit of an artistic flair to it that is just not straight down the line, good architectural building. There's, there's a bit of something involved as well, maybe like a bit of a 3D effect out of a 2D image. Uh, Anton, um, yes, on, on that uh, topic, uh, your, your photographs are, of buildings are mostly done uh, in the evening where there's a bit of light in the sky and all that kind of stuff. Maybe talk us a little bit through how you manage your dynamic range and where do you start thinking about your exposure? Yes. The, the reason I do that, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, feel. And I think you get the best feel on any landscape image when you, when you do a photograph in the magic hour, whether it being the morning or the evening. I do find in the Joburg area we get amazing sunsets. I know you guys in the Cape, they talk about how awesome your sunsets are, but we have that little bit of pollution. We get incredible cloudscapes <laughs> that, that, that just works. And, and when, you, when you put all that together, you get this in, incredible, mind-blowing effect on your images. And I'm a big fan of clouds. I, I would hardly ever photograph in a, in a stark, bright blue day um, because it, it just doesn't do anything for me trying to achieve that third dimension that I'm looking for in my photos. So I do believe that the clouds add to that third dimension. And the reason I like to photograph in that hour, if it's, if it's just before the sun sets, you're getting an extreme amount of daytime light. If it is when the sun has gone down, you're getting an extreme amount of, of, of night light. So you, you're basically composing a night shot. I like that moment in between. And often when I do photograph, I've got like a 45-minute window to take photos. And when I do go out with people, they often go, I've taken 200 photos, you've taken 10. How did you achieve, how did you manage to do this? I believe in the rather quality uh, over quantity, and I would rather take my time spending uh, uh, the moment uh, waiting for that, that light to be just right, the shadows to fall just perfect, the sky to be darkened just enough, but still give me that afterglow of the sun, and the city lights have just come on, and uh, you get that, uh, that, that just that melting pot of, of, mm -hmm. of colors and 
a mix of combination of all the light and that moment of magic that happens in the city. That only happens. It's 45 minutes. And if you're in Joburg, you, you even get the birds flying through the city. It, it, mm. It's the most unbelievable experience for 45 minutes of your life that you can have on a rooftop or anywhere in the city. Anton, um, just quickly, uh, we've heard that you are a cyclist. I know that you did a challenge where you had to cycle over a 1,000 kilometers. We know you're an owner of a cycle store. We've heard that you've studied engineering. Give us yep. a little bit of background on who is Anton Bosman. I, um, I'm the kind of kid that loved art from when I was small. I won an art competition when I was in school in Durban. And... Uh, I've never been a great artist, but I won this competition. It was quite a big competition back in those years. And it was called Perspective. It was a black and white image. And uh, I had seen a picture of Ansel Adams somewhere. And I decided, I love this. I like this kind of thing. This is what, this is what I enjoy in life. I drew this picture. It was basically a country road uh, running straight down into a flat perspective in the middle. And trees running all the down the side of it, almost like a forest. And I've, I've always just, when, when I think of, of anything that I love and enjoy in life, I think of that. And, and I've always wanted to be an artist. So I went through school uh, kind of lost, not knowing what I wanted to do. Did a lot of sport at school. Got involved in triathlon when I left school. Also had no idea what I wanted to do. I, I came up to Joburg. I was in Joburg. I came to Joburg, I think, in 1987 or 88. Sorry, 88. I came here with uh, 150 or 200 bucks in my back pocket. And that was it. And I had to kind of make do with what I wanted. I found myself a part-time job, and um, I, I got into the art and drama school. I did that for a year, and I decided this is not for me. I don't see a future <laughs> in this. Too much drama. Too much drama. And um, a friend of mine who always wanted to be an engineer asked me if I knew where a company was in Johannesburg. And I said yes, because I cycled through Joburg often. I took him there, and he wrote an aptitude test. And while I was sitting in the canteen, one of the people, uh, the lecturers running the show there said to me, are you here for the test? And I said, no. And he said, you need to come and do the test. I mean, you're wasting your time sitting out here. And I said, but I'm not here for that. And he said to me, what are you doing with your life? And I said, I don't really know. And I went and did the aptitude test. And before I knew it, I was signed into a six-year contract of studying and working. <laughs> so that's how that kind of happened. And uh, many, many years later, I've, I've always loved the arts, but I've never been able to artistically express myself because the skill and the ability to be the type of artist that I appreciate uh, just I, I don't have it I don't have the talent and years later I decided to get myself a DSLR because you think that you have to look through a viewfinder to make amazing pics and a, fr a good friend of mine a guy called Dmitry Nenkov a good architectural photographer dropped off a camera at me and he said to me this is what uh, you're going to take some photos with for the family and um all you need to understand is ISO, aperture, and shutter speed, and you walked away. And I was kind of clueless. This thing had all these buttons, all these menus. I had no idea what to do. And I just got into the camera and started teaching myself a couple of things. And uh, you, you kind of shoot everything and anything in the beginning. And uh, I just decided, you know what? I love, I love landscapes. I love cityscapes. I love that kind of thing where you can, can look into the distance and appreciate everything you see since I can't be the kind of artist I want to be with my hands and draw effectively, maybe I can bring this to camera and try and do this in camera. And you can, you can actually see that when you look at your images on Instagram. And please share with us your Instagram handle. It's at Ant Bosman, A-N-T-B-O-S-M-A-N. The images that you post there are, it, it, it's incredible cityscapes, but it, it, it gives you that feeling of it actually telling you a story. And that's obviously from your 
think, thinking and walking around the area that you are going to take a picture of and then actually just composing correctly. Correct. Yeah. Mm. I think getting back to more technical questions, one of the problems that I have with doing cityscape photography or even landscape is when you capture that sunset, eventually you're going to find that your that the sun is going to be blown out. Yeah. How do you correct that? I wait for the right moment. So you can you can either take the photo and expose for the sun and get that moody silhouette type shot. Or you could expose for the foreground, get the blown out highlights as you say. I wait for that moment. I wait for that magical moment. So I don't shoot a huge amount. You'll get guys that'll shoot the whole day mm-hmm. looking for the for the, that one shot that they want. A lot of it happens within that hour or 45 minutes uh, in summer, maybe a bit longer, maybe two hours you have. And just standing and waiting for the light. And keep, I keep looking through the viewfinder and I keep, you know, just tapping that shutter button, looking at the exposure and seeing if I'm going to get what I want. So I try and achieve the correct exposure in camera from the word go, mm. if I possibly can. At times I will make a blend of uh, uh, a bit of, let's call it HDR, where, or bracketing, as Leon said, where I'll take three images and then overlay them in Lightroom, but I think I've got about a handful of maybe five, six images like that that I've done over the years. Okay, let's talk a little bit about HDR because there has been a tendency for many photographers to kind of move to that direction. It gives you interesting colors, definitely. Um, It helps with uh, blown out proportions. Yes. But there's definitely a case where the HDR is is there and then it gets too much. Absolutely. Um, I think we all did that in the beginning. I did that where you you edit the photo, you do the HDR effect of it or what you think is HDR because you don't quite understand what it is. And it starts looking like a cartoon or a painting. Mm. And that's not really the idea. Um, Even on my images now, I try and stay away from the absolute natural type look. It's easy to do that. Take the photograph as natural as possible, colors as close to real as possible. I, I like to tell people when I take a photo, I, I, I try and understand my senses. You know, when you're standing there and that sun's going down, um, you must have been in Joburg when the sun goes down in the evening. It, you, you're listening to the cars in the background. You can hear the hooters. You can see uh, um, street vendors running up and down. You've got the pigeons coming into the uh, into into the sky. You've got the sun setting. You've got those beautiful clouds. You, you you can smell the city. You can feel the city. For me, I try and bring that into the end result. What did I feel and what did I see? So when I edit, I try and remember what I felt for that moment. So as I said, it's easy to go, okay, let's make this quite natural. Or what did I feel? Did I feel a little bit more magic than what was there? And I think a lot of people, when they do the HDR uh, process on their image, that's exactly what they're going for. They felt the magic. They felt the moment. They saw all the colors. And they try and do that. But they kind of, as you said, they completely overdo it. And HDR is very simple, really. What it is, it's uh, it's it's getting the correct uh, um, exposure for the for the, the shadows, the mids, and and the highlights. And uh, that is why the bracketing is is so important. I, I see a lot of guys are using blending on the images nowadays, where they'll go and take one image and 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 do layers of this particular image and blender. They say it's got a much more natural look. I haven't quite tried that, and I don't think I have the ability to do it unless someone teaches me somewhere along the line. But I just use Lightroom. Um, as I've told people many times, I spent in that year out of school when I studied art and drama. I worked at a dark room for a, mm-hmm. for a complete year. I, I love, I like, kind of love that processing of uh, the images, and I try and do exactly the same in Lightroom. So basically, you take 
three images, three exposures. Lightroom has got that bracketing system or the HDR mode where you overlay them and it'll give you the sort of desired result. Mm -hmm. I do find that often you don't get that. So I've gone back to the single image, try and expose correctly or as correctly in camera as I can and then adding to the processing afterwards. Uh, Anton, um, I, I like what you say there with your with your single shot approach, uh, and, and what we often see is, and, I, and I've had a lot of conversations this week about this as well, is light and that dynamic range of what happens in the shadow and what happens in the highlights. Mm, yeah. If you light everything evenly, it looks flat and there's no drama, there's no there's no intrigue. Absolutely, uh, it's just it's just a, a smash of information and color and lines and detail. That's so, right. So so the opposite way of of approaching that thinking is to actually let the shadows be shadows. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that's something that that's really intriguing about your images is that the the lights, uh, even even the street lights, they cast shadows. They they have their own pools of color light around them, um, and then. Then I got thinking, you, you mentioned that you prefer having the clouds. Uh, yes. I actually like shooting in open sky, bright daylight, uh, because then I can get even harder shadows. So yes, that's, yes. that's the opposite of dynamic, the, the HD, typical HDR idea. I, I want low dynamic range. I want like sharp, biting lines. And if I shoot in the Fuji Acros film simulation mode, then the skies can almost go pitch black, but there's still detail everywhere. That's right. Um, that that one-shot approach is a really, really cool thing. Have you have you had a go at um, any of the film simulations that maybe shot in black and white yet? I, I have. I've um, I've tried the Acros mode, which I quite enjoy. I, I I think it's it's really 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 good. I don't think it gets uh, personally as quite close to Acros as what you got in the old film days. But it's it's out of camera. I would say it's about ninety ninety five percent there. So if I do shoot an A cross, I would actually go and just blacken the blacks ever so slightly, depending on how I exposed, and um, I would actually um, just do a little bit of uh, white enhancement uh, to try and give it a little bit of pop to the image. But definitely, uh, the, the uh, most of the black and white simulations in camera, as we get on the XT two, are I think they're phenomenal. Really, really good. So we talked a little bit about Cape Town and that you've got a really nice vantage point from uh, Table Mountain. For <laughs> yep. those listeners in Johannesburg, where's the places to go and have a look? Cape Town, uh, I think Leon would know better than no, myself. No, in, in Joburg. Oh, in Joburg. Um, Joburg, there's, Joburg, if you go into Johannesburg, obviously the first thing you have to look out for is safety. Mm -hmm. You can't just go and park your car anywhere and do what you want to do. Uh, that's why we do have these Instagram walks and we do have photo walks. I think uh, we should have a couple more walks with, uh, with ourselves, soon, yeah. uh, you know, and, and promote our favorite uh, camera a little bit more. But uh, there's definitely a lot, uh, a lot of uh, places where you can walk from and some places that have become very safe for people to be able to get city shots. So you can go to Arts on Main, you can go to Maboneng Precinct. You can go to 44 Stanley if you want to. There's, there's some beautiful stuff there from the old gas works to take mm. photos of. Joburg has got a lot. One place I would really stay out of, and I've been there myself with a drone and been approached, and the guys would go, what's this? And it's very dodgy. And I, That's a police copter. So <laughs> it kind of scares him off. I know it sounds very silly, but you have to be extremely careful where you go, what you do. But there is a lot in Joburg. And you mentioned Pretoria earlier, and one of the reasons we haven't seen a lot of Pretoria cityscape shots is because it's such a completely mm. unsafe area. The city center has become 
really, really, really unsafe and just too busy for you to go there and try and take photos and still try and get home in one piece with all your camera gear and your backpack. Yeah, I think that's the lucky thing about Joburg. There are definitely city walks happening. Uh, I'm from Pretoria. When I was a, a school kid, we used to go and shoot in city centre um, with some really beautiful, amazing structures that are there. Uh, the problem now is, of course, if you, you know, once again, it's a, it's a security issue. Yes, Pretoria is. I mean, Pretoria, Joburg. We have we have this uh, blessing of the the Herbert Baker designed buildings. Definitely, yeah. They're all over the place, and they are historical buildings. They, I don't think anyone, no matter what their their, their plan is, future or future plans politically are to do whatever they can do, are going to have the rights to break those buildings down. They have to be maintained. They have to be looked after, and they are standing as. Uh, um, basically historic icons in the history of South Africa and they are just incredibly beautiful. There's a, a church in Boxburg, a stone church, a Herbert Baker design where I've taken some pics of that. It's incredible. It stands in the middle of nowhere in Boxburg, still gets attended. Every Sunday people go there for service. Beautiful place, um, kind of cordoned off so that not too much of riffraff goes on around there, not too much rubbish gets thrown around. You briefly mentioned um, East Rand. Of course, Springs is known for its beautiful Art Deco buildings. Absolutely one of the places on earth that contains still the most uh, original Art Deco structures. I believe uh, one of the places that's got the second most uh, conglomeration of yeah. Art Deco buildings in the world, behind some place in California or Amazing. somewhere. Yeah. Amazing. Joburg, a lot of Art Deco buildings, and that's the beauty of that. You can see you can see really old designs from 1920 standing next to these 1950s Art, Art Deco buildings together, right next to each other. It's actually just such an amazing place. Mm. To, to, to go and, and photograph because you're not getting Sa Santon is beautiful I mean Santon is becoming for me that, that little bit of the Dubai of South Africa it's, mm -hmm. it's got these high tech buildings and beautifully designed buildings and you know we're talking a little bit about uh, um, art and, and, and Leon spoke about his clients I really personally think that a lot of the architects out there many of them in my eye in my view are complete artists we can actually label oh, yes, them with sure. the, world, the word art they're not just uh, uh, guys who go and draw pretty pictures and, and, and put them into reality. Mm. These guys have got such an artistic look on life because they need to look at what that building is going to do within the landscape. What impact is that building going to do with the, within the, 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 the landscape of that area? And if you look at Santon, particularly the Norton Rose Fulbright building, stunning, stunning with its little squiggles and, and, and windows mm. and, and You've got that Bowman's building right next to it. You've got these two really incredibly high-tech buildings that just form a fantastically beautiful landscape and changing that city into something very pleasurable and almost looking very artistic to the mm, eye. Definitely. Partial myself. Um, every time I think I've achieved something that is pretty good, I tend to, to leave my computer for a while and I sit back and I don't look at the images I've taken. I come back a week later and I think, yeah, last week I thought this image was amazing. Today it sort of looks average. And that's when I go out and I push myself to, to the next limit. So I would, I would like to say that at the moment it's purely self-indulgent for myself um, to feel my little bit of uh, artistic flair that I feel that I have and I'd like to show the world. I, I do think that there is, uh, hopefully for me moving forward, um, much better work that would come from what I can achieve. Um, yes, to, to make myself feel a bit better. I think we all have that, that little bit of in us where we want people to, to recognize and, and acknowledge us for what we do. Um, and I definitely would like to, to get to that point where I can put something out there and people can go, 
that's great. And I can look at it myself and go, I know, I understand. Not to be arrogant, but where I myself can accept the fact that it's great. So to answer your question uh, quite easily there, it's for myself. And um, I, I push the limits every time I try and look at different techniques, different ways of photographing to to try and achieve the sort of goal and level that I want for myself to be happy and content with myself. Mm. Just Brilliant. Anton, just on, I'm a starting photographer. I, I've seen your work. I want to sort of get into it. What do I need? How do I go about it? Um, say, for instance, Santon City is where I want to start off with because it's super safe. Um, what is the sort of things that I need to understand and know and get permission for to go and try cityscapes? Permission is, is, is the trickiest part of it all. So you can't just get onto any rooftop or any shopping center. These are privately owned places. Um, Santon, I'm hoping that within the CBD area that the, the holding company or the security company that looks after Santon is not going to stop photographers from walking around and taking photos there um, because these guys are, are, are taking photos and they're marketing that place mm. at no charge. You know, they're showing Definitely. it to the world and they're showing it to, to the rest of the people in South Africa. So permission is a difficult thing. Shopping centers, they're not going to allow you. You can always get a nice compact camera and shoot from the hip and they're not going to know. Um, I've been to Monte Casino with my camera where I get chased away and then I go back with my old X100 and you take photos and no one even flinches. Um, so definitely equipment-wise, I would recommend that people not look at the biggest, most massive camera they can buy uh, because you are going to get noticed. People are going to see you straight away. And the minute you pack that kind of stuff out, you are going to look like a commercial photographer. So I, I always recommend people look at a nice Gorillapod. Um, the SLR uh, Gorillapod, uh, SLR-based one, is, is actually nice and sturdy. You get a, a good ball head for that. You've got a, a very nice sturdy tripod to do low angle shots, high angle shots. If you can get access like, like we did in Santon City, you can uh, go into one of the parking areas. Even if you could go and do it a bit under the radar, you can just quickly pop out your car, take your Gorillapod, put it up there and take your shot. Um, so Gorillapod's definitely very handy. Uh, Leon said earlier a good tripod, and I can fully agree with that. Uh, get the best tripod that money can buy, the most sturdy tripod that money can buy. doesn't have to be the lightest. If you're going to travel a lot, then you could look at the carbon fiber ones. But just get a nice, good, sturdy tripod with a good head that's not going to shift and turn and drop and move a little bit when you take your shots. Um, a remote shutter so you can do long exposures or not touch your camera if you want to do even your, your, your native 30-second exposure that, that most cameras do. You, you're not going to touch the camera. You don't always have to use a self-timer. Get, a, get a, a remote. It's definitely a, a, a fantastic uh, a tool to have. Um, I've recently added to my camera, it sounds very odd, but a little soft release button. So this screws into the top of the camera, and it just makes the feel very, very soft. So when I, when I do compose and I look through the viewfinder, I just find it magic to just fiddle a little bit with this guy on the top and then scroll through my exposure or my, my settings that I, that I want to take for the shot. Those are all very important. And then uh, you guys spoke about filters earlier. Filters are absolutely crucial if you want to do uh, cityscapes. Um, polarizing filter, as, as Leon said, ones that, that dim the reflections if you are going to shoot in bright daylight. I find when we do shoot in Joburg, though, you get that golden glow that comes down. And, and often that golden glow looks fantastic when it reflects on the windows. And that's where you, you jump to an ND filter. You get an ND two-stop, four-stop six, eight, ten stop, whatever. 
I use a tent stop uh, quite a lot um, going into sunset. And once the sun is setting, I drop down to like an ND6 if I want to do cloud movement or, or, or long uh, exposure type shot. So definitely in short, good camera, a nice shutter release, one that's, uh, it doesn't have to be electronic, one that speaks to you when you're standing away from the camera. A plug-in one is very good, but one that you can lock for when you want to do the long exposures. And uh, definitely uh, a very, very important, a very, very good high-speed memory card. Because when you do start taking those long exposures, they do take time to write uh, to memory. If you look at all your images and you... Um sort of see the focal length that you're shooting what is the most used focal length? <laughs> 10 mils <laughs> it's, it's funny I, I shoot at 10 millimeters and I, I, I hear rumors of a, an 8 to 16 millimeter lens come out and I'm excited about that I'm just wondering what the, the distortion is going to be like we spoke about that earlier with the angles of the buildings but I shoot at 10 mils predominantly and uh, it just gives me that perfect uh, view that I want and focal point that I want for my images. You know, uh, Leon said earlier, you can get to that point where you, you, you're getting so close or you're zooming in so much that it becomes architectural photography. I think to, to create a nice cityscape, keep it as wide as possible and as much or as many buildings in the image as possible so you get this, this really wide angle to give you that, that, that almost wow feel. You look at the image, you go, wow, how's all that in one image? Yes, 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 who got brands talking? Brandlife.co.za. If, if I could maybe also chime in on one or two other experiences I've had, um, the, the GFX in particular, uh, I found out has a 60 minute uh, longest shutter natively without any. Uh, without any cable release, and I find that is that's absolutely cool if you want to do such a long exposure. The working model. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, so that's that's something that I'd uh, maybe put out there as a tip: is, is know your gear, know where you need what, because you don't need to carry a lot of stuff. If you if you're going for a particular look, particular time of the day, and you like you say, you have 45 minutes. It's not like you're going to schlep around with an entire production crew. This is a this is a very different genre. Uh, uh, another thing also is to perhaps play a little bit with uh, with light. If you are close to any architectural or, or street details like uh, lamps and trees and those kind of things, if you want to light them maybe separately, you can add a bit of dimension and, and drama to that, gel your lights if you want to get creative. Uh, I think that's that's maybe a cool way to, to take a, a different approach to just instead of responding to what's in front of you, if you want to start adding and, and playing a little bit for those that feel confident and creative that's a that's a cool way to go about it thank you leon that's it for episode two of straight out of camera thank you gentlemen it was nice thank to chat you. to you um leon have a great weekend in cape town thank you very and much visit a long, us, slow one <laughs> visit us on our social media channels again at instagram at at soc underscore live as well as on our facebook page at soc live and we look forward to a new um, genre being discussed next week Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.